So are there comments, questions, things to talk about? Yes. I have a question. Um, actually, some of what you said came up yesterday in the dedicated practice that we have in the little room over there. Um, and this issue of like your conditioning not being your fault. Um, and sometimes I've had times in practice where I'm really seeing new layers of, of the conditioning that can be um, kind of painful. And so sometimes it's easy for my mind to go into, oh, I can't believe I've been doing this to myself at this time, not quite consciously, what do I do now? And like feeling like it is a reflection of, of me. And so wondering how to really understand not being at fault for your suffering so there's quite a difference between taking responsibility and not making something or turning something into blame okay taking responsibility is seeing that there's a cause and effect relationship between this and that with this is condition this is result all right that's taking seeing the cause and effect relationship and then taking responsibility is seeing that if I follow this kind of thinking, then this is the result. Okay? So, blaming is is, is that I'm a bad person, I'm an idiot, and I can't practice, and that it's all my fault because I've been doing this for a hundred years. Alright? So I've been seeing it, but I haven't been able to resolve it. There's nothing in that which is helpful. Alright? That is that is that is taking the cause and effect relationship, solidifying a sense of self around it, increasing feelings of shame and guilt and self uh, uh, disparagement, and it doesn't give the confidence or the strength to be able to navigate the patterns themselves. So one of the ironies about guilt is is that it's completely useless in terms of support for furthering the practice. What one needs to do is to sift out from guilt the sense of what is the cause and effect relationship here, where is the place of placing attention here, and where is the remorse that comes from following this pattern. So remorse is really different from guilt because remorse doesn't solidify a negative person that is experiencing it. Guilt makes a bad person. And the weird thing about guilt is is that the best punishment is to do it again. (laughs) So what one needs to do when there is a pattern that is not helpful is to separate out the cause and effect relationship of what's not helpful around it And then to see when there is a sense of self that has gotten kind of wrapped up with that pattern. This is me. This is what I do. This is my fault. This is my lack of skill. This is my lack of attainment. This is my lack of good practice. It's my problem. Okay? And so separating out the me factor from the pattern looking at the pattern and then begin to see, well, where can I bring my attention to the pattern so that I have more support in coming up with a different response? So people who have, okay, so that's true with habits and patterns. It's also really true with addictions, you know? 
there's something that's happening where the mind is moving in a particular way. It's almost as if it has a kind of life force of its own. It's out of control. And then one needs to begin to start getting a, a leverage under that that's different from the normal thing that we do, which is either just to gratify the addiction or to blame ourselves for being bad because we have one. Yeah? Does that help answer your question? Yeah. Um, so it's just that we have particular patterns that are formed before we're even totally conscious, that are just formed in childhood or with family or with society, and that doesn't totally relate to you. It just sort of forms and operates in you. Definitely we have conditioning that we take up or that is, that, that is instilled, inculcated in us. And, then, and so we have that, so we definitely have conditioning. But at a certain point, we have to actually um, take responsibility. So it's like no matter how it got there, no matter how it got there, and no matter whether it's skillful or it's not skillful, if it's stuff that's affecting my speech and my behavior and my attitudes and my values and the way that I'm relating, then the buck stops here, which means that I have to take responsibility for how I live and the choices that I make. And if I'm filled up with conditioning which is less than helpful, then it's my responsibility to attend to it and to begin to lessen those unskillful habits and start cultivating more positive habits. As yes. a segue to that, can you talk about reframing again? Because I thought that was very useful. And it seems like it's part of the tools that go beyond, for instance, uh, meta, or as an adjunct to meta in trying to address these kinds of issues of conditioning. Okay, so stuff arises as maybe a thought pattern or a mood or a belief system or... And usually that's the way we experience it. We try to relate to it and work with it and resolve with it at that same level of foundation, like as a thought. But a thought will have a correlate as a physical experience, as a somatic experience. Everything will have a correlate as a somatic experience. The thought will also have an emotion or a feeling quality behind it. It'll have the quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral in it. And so if what we're dealing with is a loop that's looping on thought, we can change it to Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. We can change it to the mood or the emotion that's behind it. Or we can bring our attention back to our body and see how we're experiencing as a somatic experience. As a somatic experience, it's going to be less complicated. It's going to have less associations connected to it. It's not going to have the same kind of story that gets activated by it. And as a result of that, that can give us a lot more leverage in being with it without spinning out. That's really great. And, I, you know, one of, the, one of the gratifying things about hearing you talk about approaching these difficulties and recognizing them and working with them is your, is your focus on both in, in teaching our meditation tonight and in general is this somatic awareness. I think that's really something that's been divorced from mainstream modes of operation here in, in the West. And um, anything you want to say about how to get back to that? Um, or remind oneself of that um, would be very useful. 
Well, you know, I consider myself a, a person who's been special needs in this topic. And so as special needs, it's like, well, special needs people need special support. So I've tried and brought in as much support in whatever which way that I can to, to make it work. You know, so for me, I've done body work, I've done qigong, I've done anything I can, anything that I have access to that helps me bring attention into the body because my attention, my, my habit was I would exit stage left at the first possible instance. And then try, how do you resolve something as a disembodied creature? Yeah. You know, you don't have you don't have anything to resolve it with. No yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. How important is is it to know the story? You know the why? Because I'm somebody who, after a hundred years of therapy, I still don't quite know why it was probably you know a, a very preverbal stuff. You know, I just have sort of have a vague idea. So, if if we, if we have that the, those patterns, we need to know where they come from. Work with them. No, because the patterns are not about um, knowing the 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 mechanisms that set them up. It's about knowing how we're relating to them and where they're operating. So, I've known people who've had very very severe trauma, extreme trauma, and they never ever knew the story. They never could work it out. But it doesn't matter because you can still watch the sensations that arise and begin to release the trauma patterns associated with them without having any idea of what actually happened where this stuff came from. So sometimes you know you know and sometimes you don't know. And you don't need to go digging to know. What you need to do is you need to find the right relationship with the experience that allows the trauma pattern to release and whether you know or you don't know, it's like, actually, it's not your business, you know? Your business is to attend to the work, which is to be with the trauma pattern and to find a healthy way of being with what's arising and allow it to unfold in a way which is skillful. You know? Yeah. Yes, please. So, what I'm wondering now is when something is triggered... Because I'm thinking of something that's happened to me um, recently, and something got triggered, and I spiraled, but felt like downward. And I'm now sitting here thinking that that is a trigger for some sort of trauma that I don't know that I'm aware of. And so what I probably could do is just be with my body and notice what sensations are there and just be present to whatever it is that I do know and what I don't know will just take care of itself as I'm present to what I can be aware of. Is that what you're saying? Um, Yes, in essence that's what I'm saying. But particularly when we're dealing with trauma, what's absolutely needed is just a tremendous level of safety. So it's it's not only the bare attention to what is but it's the bare attention to what is held in an environment that feels resourced and safe and kind and welcoming and compassionate. And those extra qualities really make the difference. And so with certain kinds of trauma stuff, what's needed is somebody else to make sure that the safety is actually 
adequately supported. Because sometimes we don't always have the capacity to bring all those qualities into our practice ourselves when what we're dealing with has activated such a strong reaction that um, we're, we're, we are at capacity to just be present for the reaction. Yeah. So it takes, it takes skill. And even people who are very seasoned practitioners you know, do trauma work because they can't hold the, both things all at the same time. You know? Does that make sense? Mm, not, not, not to my insights. Maybe somewhere linear, linear thought. But. Okay, so what's needed with trauma work is to be able to move back and forth between the unpleasant sensation and a, and a deep and profound sense of safety and ease and well-being. And the reason why sometimes it's needed to have a person to do that work with is because when we are activated by something that's intensely um, activating, it's difficult for us to oscillate. We get stuck in the unpleasant. And then the unpleasant then re-triggers the trauma. And so in order for it to release rather than to re-traumatize, what we need to do is to do it extremely skillfully so that we are pendling, oscillating between the unpleasant, which has all of the sensations and feelings and stories connected to it, and moving deliberately back into not just the knowing of those sensations, but bringing our attention to what is easeful and relaxed and peaceful and has a deep sense of safety connected to it. And so the reason why having a trauma person help with work like that can be useful is because it takes enormous skill to be both activated and skillful at the same time. Okay, so in other words, I could not be activated and skillful at the same time at this point in my life, probably. Well, that, that, I can't say that. You're going to be the one that's going to need to discern that. But what I, what I know is, is, is that for many people who are very experienced meditators, they go do trauma work. And so it's not a reflection on their lack of skill, it's just a reflection on the complexity of what is needed in order for this stuff to release in a way which is most skillful. Okay. Was there a question behind? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Following up, you say to find a skilled person to work with, help you with your trauma. You're talking about therapists, or, or, or what kind of person are you talking about? Well, there's, there's different kinds of people that work with trauma work, but the kind that I'm talking about specifically is somatic experiencing, which is actually not a psychotherapy. It's actually uh, uh, somebody who knows how to bring attention to the physical sensations and allow them to release. Because a psychotherapist tends to work at levels on the, on the emotion, and the trauma tends to be embedded as a physical somatic thing. Yeah? So it's a slightly different model of working with it, but actually it's very effective. Can you name some of those forms of, uh, of, tra- of, of uh, somatic? Somatic experience is the name of a form that's very effective. Peter Levine has done work, and he's got books written, and he's got online courses that are available, and... And I've got some of the books written on the website, my website. There's a resource list that's got books and stuff, and there's some resources around that. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. I found that uh, in my own experience, the, uh, the talk aspect of it is almost an escape from the uh, somatic experience. That the, uh, the thinking is really taking me away from the som- somatic experience and coming back to it uh, is hard work, but uh, once it's done, it's uh, very, very effective, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that, uh, again, I think it depends on the individual, but uh, not everyone needs an external body to do the job work. But if, if one can find that place of uh, peace and, and uh, safety internally, not as, a, as an alternative, but knowing that it's beyond the difficulty that that helps. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, hi. I, I, I just have one or two questions which are um, more or less interrelated. Uh, one of which is uh, oftentimes during, um, during circumstances of stress, it seems that my sensory perception of the environment becomes quite altered. For instance, um, uh, say I'm reading something something involved or uh, you know, which requires a great deal of thought and analysis to be devoted to it. And if I'm under some type of stress or you know, uh, hungry or experiencing either, um, I guess, a psychological or physical um, discomfort, it influences the way in which I think and it influences the way in which I uh, perceive everything, essentially. And... Um, Usually, since there is some time constraint or some other feature involved, um, my approach is that, I mean, my, my approach is, or my, my thought process is basically um, uh, that the mental state that I'm, present, that I'm experiencing is not ideal, that if, if there, there was some magic bullet which would enable me to shift the state to one more conducive towards the type of work I'm doing, that would be ideal. So my, you know, my typical approach is to um, go for a walk for and ninety percent that for some time that doesn't really do the trick for some time for reasons that I cannot quite discern. So uh, my my other means of dealing with stress is uh, um, you know deciding that I'm going to spend uh, you know fifteen or twenty minutes on the internet watching silly clips on YouTube or whatever. And uh, usually instead of 15 minutes or half an hour, um, five or six hours pass. It's three in the morning. I still have to uh, you know, do the, uh, the, the 20 pages of intense reading and so And uh, um, what I notice is that the time that I've devoted on the internet passes by um, almost instantaneously. I mean, I, I, I do not perceive the passage of time. And uh, at the end, uh, I'm usually feeling quite, quite guilty and slapping myself on the head and the ERA and so instead of relieving stress and giving yourself even more stress. And uh, I notice this process re- repeating and reiterating itself literally ad nauseum. Uh, there are sometimes days, uh, you know, like two weeks in a row where I would, where I would spend you know, uh, three to six hours on the internet each day. And uh, um, no amount of meditative attention seems to shift that, um, that, that what I would call this addictive driver. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I just want to hear some of your thoughts regarding uh, the mechanisms at play here and possible ways of remedying this rather than uh, this problem. 
So thank you for your candid sharing of something which I think probably is a little bit more familiar than um, one might um, like to believe. <laughs> um, you know, when, when we have um, strategies to help support that are um, not helpful, and when we don't have the mechanisms to stop or to see that, that we're engaged in that, that's very often the um, patterns behind addictive kind of behaviors. And with addictive kind of stuff that's going on, it's, there's, there's the hope that this thing is going to be the one that's going to give us the goods, even though intellectually we know that it, it hasn't, it won't, and it never is likely to be able to do that. So all, all addictions have that as a similar kind of a pattern. You know, there's this, there's this sense that if we just do what we'd like to do, that that's actually going to relieve us from the tension or the stress that we're experiencing. And I think that's one of the, the, like one of the basis of this. And so with addictive responses, there needs to be um, uh, a kind of a recognition that um, there's something that's actually not working for us and that we need to find other things that do work for us better, and that the thing is a little bit out of control in the sense that our own reflective mechanisms and willpower is not sufficient to be able to navigate the territory. So it's as if, you know, when you get tired or you get um, stressed, your discernment diminishes, and that discernment activates the patterns, which then you don't have the capacity to negotiate in a more skillful way. And so what is, what, you know, with, with addictive patterning, what's needed um, is, well, there's lots of things that are needed, but what's needed is to, is to, is to begin to have a, a something that stops one from engaging in that, in that process in the first place. And, and I don't know what that would look like for you, you know, and for different people it looks different things, but partly what's needed is the recognition that there's a pattern that's out of control and that one's own intellect and discernment and reflective abilities is not sufficient to navigate this in a way which is helpful. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, some of my friends who are in 12-step programs or recovery programs or whatever, you know, they talk about their program as being a container that helps them reflect. The thing that I've always felt like was lacking in these programs is, is that it's kind of it's 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 there's something about it for me which doesn't resonate and I don't know whether it's because I haven't actually been through it myself to know how useful it is to have a program like that but for me there's something about these programs which creates the identity of of a, of an addict that needs a program in order to come out of it which I I feel there's something in that which just doesn't sit well for me. And yet there's components of these programs which are very helpful, which is the sense that one needs to rely on something other than um, the natural mechanisms because the mechanisms are kind of like hijacked and they're not functioning in a, in a way where they're reliable. But what's one, one thing that is absolutely true is, is that a lot of... A, patterns which fall into the category of addictive patterning comes because of being um, uh, dislocated from one's own deeper needs and from one's own sense of, of, of peace and, and kindness in oneself. And so rather than attend to that discomfort, one does something to, it's like as a strategy which takes one away. So it's in the same way, what's your name? George. George, George was talking about the thinking 
takes you away from the somatic experience and it's uncomfortable to come back because it's often uncomfortable feelings that causes the thoughts to start going in the first place. But actually, the way out is in. And so the way out when you're feeling stressed is to come back into what the feeling of stress is itself. You know, how are you feeling stressed? How do you know that you're stressed? What is the quality of the stress? What is the characteristic of the mind state of stress? And then from that, what can you choose to do that brings a little bit more ease and well-being without activating this other response? And you might need some support, friends or other people to help you with that. All right? Thank you.